This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Anif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, BFM's video game show. We are at the end of July, which means that it's time for Jonathan Leo, content director at gaming website kakuchopori.com to join me for our monthly run-up. One of the biggest news from July was Microsoft's success against the FTC, which we have covered extensively with lawyer Leslie Lim from Ma Wing Kwai and Associates a couple of weeks back. Following that, Microsoft and Activision Blizzard have since agreed to extend their merger agreement to the 18th of October. This is taking into consideration the outcome of their negotiation with the UK's regulator, the CMA. Here's John Leo with that news and more. Yeah, that is correct. Microsoft and Activision agreed to extend the merger agreement until October 18 to finalise the transaction. Plus, they also added that the termination fee is basically... Let me see if I'm reading this number correctly. Uh, set at $3.5 billion if the deal doesn't close by August 29. And it will jump to 4.5 billion if September 15 passes without a finalization. So, whoever backs out the deal has to basically pay the fine, lah, so to speak, a 4.5 billion dollar fine. That's mm. not jump change. That's a lot of money. Mm. So they have to go through it, lah. They don't really have much of a choice. I don't think they. It's like you're just showing that sign of commitment. That originally the regulators in the UK blocked the deal, but I believe. Every party has decided that yes, it's actually fair for gamers and fair for cloud streaming and whatnot. So it's more or less happening, basically. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much it until some act of God happened until before October 18 hit. So they gotta basically just do clean up house and stuff, lah. But what's interesting is some of the stuff that was revealed after this happened and prior to these uh, things happening in the month of July. So I'll start with what happened prior. Mm. So during the legal documentation, everything in court proceedings, it turns out that there was actually a form that was being passed around that was poorly redacted. And it actually stated PlayStation's game budgets for both Horizon Forbidden West and The Last of Us Part 2. So you want to take a guess how much each game costs? Or mm, I think enough of... 200 million, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, pretty much. It's around that ballpark figure. So Horizon Forbidden West costs 212 million to develop over a five-year period. Plus, it's probably marketing, if being honest. Mm-hmm. And The Last of Us Part 2 costs around 220 million to make. I think this is including marketing. I don't think this is possible to have the cost for this game balloon up. Unless, of course, I mean, again, we know about The Last of Us Part 2 and its development woes. I mean, the game came out, but there was a lot of trouble that went around it, especially the way things are proceeding slowly and being built and being reiterated. Yes, I get it. It's a very big franchise, but it's just insane why how games are ballooning up to this kind of cost. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I expect marketing to at least be at least half of that, not entire development costs, because if you... Look at like the best games that we've been playing right now. I mean, honestly, personally, on my perspective, like the best games I played cost like a fraction of this cost, honestly. So I get that marketing has to be there, but at the same time, this is not healthy. I mean, what do you think? Honestly, this is a lot of money, dude. But 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 it has been quite consistent with the kind of reports we've been hearing about how AAA games are getting a bit more expensive these days, right? Yeah. That is true, yeah. And that is very, very worrying, honestly. Like, this is basically making... Yes, people have jobs and everything. They want to produce these things here and there. But to this extent, this is... 
like again, this is like as much as a big movie and as good as these games look, it's just it doesn't feel very efficient per se in the long run, especially with the way people are how do I say this? Um, if a game takes three years with half of that cost and it's just as good, that is possible. I mean, we need support studios here and there. That's great and all, but there are just many ways to make the cost more efficient, to make maybe sequels or other games that complement that or maybe get around to developing like maybe expansions for particular games using half the cost. But it's... I mean, I, I, I fail to see, like, these are successful games. I can't imagine seeing, like, a very, a game that basically fails and it has this much to cost. Like, mm. maybe Forspoken was another example. Maybe <laughs> this kind of Forspoken cost that much to make and it failed. So that's just more frightening, honestly, especially for hardworking people who port, like, maybe four or five years making a product knowing that, oh, it ballooned up to this cost and it's... I think some things need to change, lah. Honestly, I mean, but I, I really, uh, there's no way, there's no simple way to put it. It's games have come a long way. Games do not need to look exorbitantly that good. Sometimes all you need is a good art direction and a good hook to get people on board. Yes, marketing budgets. That's that's a fact of life. That should be like by the millions. But for development, yes, that that too. But at the same time. Again, I feel that this is actually a combination of both marketing and development because if it's just development alone, I think some things need to be restructured and be... Re the, the industry needs to be... have to have some sort of like uh, intervention of sorts. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from and I think to a certain extent this is a topic worth talking about on a, on a like, totally different episode. Like, totally I think different it's, well, so. Yeah, it's worth exploring um, how yeah games can be that expensive these days, right? And whether it's going to be sustainable long-term for the industry. Because I think we... Sustainability, that's the issue as well too. Yes. Correct, yeah. Because, and, and this is the kind of, I think, uh, arguments that, you know, maybe companies like EA was trying to make, right? When it comes to, I guess, developing um, multiplayer games or, focus, or trying to focus solely on multiplayer games because at least the returns, the, the kind of long-term returns that they're projecting might be might be there as well. And which you, we all know gamers hate as well, right? So there is that to, to sort of like consider as well. Yes, yes. Uh, you also got your Call of Duties to consider too, which mm. also, I'm not surprised if it costs 200 million to make, which is also kind of insane la, when you think <laughs> about it too. I mean, I get that marketing again. Let's, again, this is like, I guess this is something you can discuss in the future episode. Now, the second part of the deal is Sony signs 10 years to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation, which is, I guess it eventually has to fall to that. PlayStation actually had to make things clear for them. Mm. so I guess this isn't really a surprise I mean apart from big budget games this is also not really surprising news considering that PlayStation does want to have their pie in the Call of Duty circle because once the deal is signed Microsoft can do whatever they want whatever they say to the FTC they can probably back out of it maybe pay <laughs> a small fine and all that which is so I guess having some things in writing is pretty important too Yes, Call of Duty is pretty popular, but do you think that 10 years is a long time? <laughs> 10 years is a long time, stay? yeah, yeah. It will go by really fast, don't get me wrong. But yeah, I think 10 years is a good way to secure a company's uh, future in terms of getting a piece of the Call of Duty action because it is a pretty popular game. I'm not going to lie. So I guess it's just uh, PlayStation future-proofing themselves, which is, again, you, you got to be a businessman and be smart about certain things here and there. If you know like two big players are going to team up together and maybe exclusive, better to find a way to, you know, get into that at the very least. This is obviously intrusive, but not the not in a bad way. Because again, 
company self-interest means you kind of want to secure as many good games as you can. So one more big title like Call of Duty is not going to hurt anyway. So yeah, And plus, it will make Microsoft a lot more money because they are getting sales off of whatever they're selling on PlayStation. Mm. Regardless, because it is their game at the end <laughs> of the day once the ink is dried up. Correct, yeah. I'm quite curious to know what's going to happen after after this deal is over 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, moving on, uh, speaking of selling games, uh, Street Fighter VI uh, sold 2 million copies in a month. Yeah, the- I don't think Street Fighter VI cost 212 million to make. <laughs> I can tell you that. But I'm sure it would have sold that much within that, maybe in the next five months or so. So mm. selling 2 million copies in just five weeks, that's pretty cool considering that Street Fighter V sold around 600k just for PC and PlayStation 4 in the first six weeks. Which means that, yes, the hype around Street Fighter VI, the marketing, and the fact that they've made good on the promise that it'll be a better game than 4 and 5 has been met. A lot of players do love Street Fighter VI. A lot of players have played this game for the past five weeks and they are very impressed Yes, there was actually a bug that happened with one of the DLC characters, but that's fine. I mean, regardless of that, it's tiny issue is already fixed by the time this podcast is out. Yeah, 2 million copies from a well-renowned fighting game that is the future of 2D fighting games. Yes, it's pretty impressive. It's off to a good start for this franchise, right? Yep, yep. I believe Mortal Kombat itself uh, sold 50 million copies within four years. It's the... I think this is the original Mortal Kombat. Or was it, I think, yeah, yeah, it was a real Mortal Kombat, yes, back in the day. So I think Street Fighter 2 sold 12 lifetime sales, I believe, or probably more than that for the all consoles, basically. Super Nintendo being the major shareholder. Mm. So 2 million within just like a month plus, it's actually pretty all right. I see Street Fighter 6 having more legs. Basically, as long as they add in the characters people want, like Makoto or maybe Sakura from Street Fighter Alpha, and, you know, make some tweaks around the gameplay with the World Tour mode, add more Masters, sorry, yeah, Masters and everything else, I think it'll be fine. So it'll do really well. I mean, it's going to be a mainline game at EVO 2023, the biggest fighting game tournament that's happening start of August. So mm. Street Fighter Six is in a good place. Capcom has done well. All right. Speaking of EVO 2023, do you have more details on that? Yes, I do. So EVO 2023, the biggest fighting game that has, has happening in America, Las Vegas, is going to be happening on the 5th to 7th August, Malaysian time. It's going to be airing. The live stream should start like 1am and then it'll probably end around 12th afternoon, I believe. Mm-hmm. Unless it goes over time, which again, esports tournaments usually do. And yeah, EVO 2023 will see 9,182 unique players competing across the event's eight main titles. So over three quarters of these competitors will be playing Street Fighter VI, which is basically 7,061 entrants. So of course, like some of these players are also double or triple entering in different games. So which again, 7,000 is pretty big for a new game, especially since it broke the previous record of 5,000 for Street Fighter V's debut in EVO 2016. Yeah, so so are you looking forward to it? Um, to live stream and watch, yes, I am actually, because I want to see the developer panels and also see the many, many new excitement announcements. Like, I think they're going to announce Tekken 8's release date or maybe new characters, worst case scenario. Arc System Works will announce something new, maybe a new season for Guilty Gear Strive. 
Mortal Kombat 1 will be making some headway and some news. Mm. There is also going... Is there another fighting game? Ah, King of Fighters 15. SNK is going to talk about something new. Maybe they're going to showcase Garou Mark of the Wolves Part 2, which is a long-awaited sequel to the 1998 title of the game of the same name. And yeah, Street Fighter 6. We're probably going to see maybe Akuma, a new DLC character, or maybe Season 2 characters being revealed. Maybe just the pictures of them. So it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting. And we're going to see, of course, very wicked plays here and there. So... In terms of tournament players, I do hope they get to see something along the lines of Daigo and Tokido making it to top 8. Or at least a player like Idom making it to top 8. Which is, he's a very young U, a young US-based player. His um, top tier player of Laura in Street Fighter V is really great. And he's been using a character named Manon, a judo ballet character who is... I won't say she's terrible, but she's not like the best of the best character. But... He has been playing her like a champ, basically, like a high-level player. So I'd like to see how these players fare in the top eight. Hopefully, they make it a top eight because, as you all know, uh, evil brackets can be very, very unpredictable. So who knows? All right, fantastic. Moving on and going back to Microsoft, uh, there are 1,400 retro games that have been added to the Xbox Game Pass. Yes, it is actually through a program, an app called Endstream Arcade. I believe it's like a subscription service as well. And it's actually in large part down to Xbox boss Phil Spencer to make these games available on Xbox. So the service, which lets players access a streaming library of over 1,400 retro games, is available as a native app on Xbox Series X, S, and Xbox One. So the full list of games is sending uh, 1,470 including 200 Amiga games, 300 arcade games, and 350-plus ZX Spectrum titles. So some highlights include Amiga's Alien Breed series, which is a top-down shooter with aliens who look suspiciously legally distinct like the aliens in James Cameron and uh, Ridley Scott's films. (laughs) A lot of SAK titles like the Metal Slug series, a number of LucasArts DOS games, and the two Earthworm Jim games for Mega Drive and Super Nintendo. So you can see the full stream on nstream.com slash games. Alright, so technically this is separate from the Game Pass uh, service. Well, it's not part of the Game Pass service. You just basically have to download the app through Xbox. Because Xbox has its own series of games and apps, right? So Mm. you get the nstream arcade and you get to stream the games through that app. Alright, a good move from them? Yeah, it's a good move because um, subscription fees for these kind of retro game services aren't super expensive. And the one-to-one playing bit is, you know, I mean, your only choice in the matter is basically to get an emulator and, you know, ROMs and all that, which is, you know, something you don't talk about <laughs> in public all the time. So this is a legal way to play certain games like these. Another mm. legal way is probably to play the Nintendo Switch Online Pass or play retro games that are available on Xbox Live Arcade or, sorry, Xbox Store. This uh, whole Endstream arcade service is one other legal way because of the subscription fee you have to pay to play these games on the live stream service. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. Um, we have a bit of a controversy involving Assassin's Creed and a voiceover issue uh, with, I think, a VO actor said that her voice has been used without her consent um, via AI. Uh, yes, apparently voice actress Victoria Atkin who plays Evie Fry in Ubisoft's Assassin's Creed Syndicate back in 2015 actually had her lines and speech patterns and whatnot record that's already recorded used in Bethesda's uh, Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. 
So this is actually done through the use of generative AI that these companies have had on for a while. So this is actually via a mod on Skyrim because don't forget Skyrim is a 2011 game, but it's still being supported via mods. So this mod is called Dragonborn VoiceOver. So it uses Evie Fry's voice through an AI synthesizer that is actually used and then put inside this voice pack. Mm-hmm. So this creator is called the creator of this uh, voiceover pack is called Dexter Fi. He used a mod again, like he used a AI chip to get Evie Fry's voice inside, and of course, this is um, done for free and all that. So it kind of violates a person's voice work and whatnot, lah. In that sense. So according to um, Atkins who told Axios this, if my voice is able to be taken and manipulated from these franchises and people can make them say whatever they want to say, that is very frightening for myself and my livelihood. She's not speaking just on behalf of herself because she's also speaking for other people whose voices are in a 2011 game. And then some guy goes in, takes the videos from all the different NPCs from the characters and then form like, creates an AI system to, you know, create new voice patterns and voice speech mannerisms and whatnot based on the voice actress's work. That's pretty scary, actually. I think there should be some rights covering these. I think not just this year. They should have been done like years prior when AI tools have surfaced. Not just for VO, but also for music. And as of this year, you know, writing, you know, in terms of script writing. Hmm. Yeah, this is indeed scary. And again, another topic worth exploring um, down the line as well. Yes, yes. How it might affect the industry, right? Yeah, yeah, not just the gaming industry. Also, if you're writing for Hollywood, that's a lot of people who are on strike right now because of AI too. So mm. it's not just confined to Hollywood, but also in the gaming side, especially with this scary technology to replicate voices from existing games. For all you know, you know the guy who voiced Sonic, Robert Atkin Downs, I believe? Mm. You could just take his voice from all the Sonic games it did, from Sonic Adventures up till... I want to say Heroes or Sonic Unleashed, the one of the werewolf, and then just compile it, use a VO AI tool, and there you go. You have a Robert Atkins down Sonic pack that you can use anywhere in different games. That's crazy. And he's not even getting paid for it, which is, you know, grounds for a lawsuit that could happen. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what's going to happen in the future. Um, yes. Yeah, up next, um, another controversy of sorts. Uh, if you guys are aware of this, and, and I'm sure a lot of you are, uh, Twitter recently changed their name to X. And um, <laughs> what I like about this story is that there's a certain community in the gaming scene that responded to it. And the community is the Kingdom Hearts fans. You know, can you tell us more about this? Yeah, sure. So because in the Kingdom Hearts series, there's actually a group called Organization 13 and it's formed by an evil character named Master Zen Harnort. So yes, so the word X is kind of prevalent in the group's name and each member in Organization 13 because, you know, 10X and whatnot. It's a Square Enix and Tetsuya Nomura's way of creative writing. Uh, I push that term loosely, by the way. (laughs) So this connection has led to Kingdom Hearts fans changing their profile pics to that of Hooded Nobodies of Organization 13 on Twitter slash X. It's just one of the massive ways of memes as fandoms across the board poke fun at Elon Musk's strange decision to change this iconic brand with the bird and the word Twitter and, you know, the noun tweet, adjective tweet, to change it to one letter, X. So I believe this trend was started by a Twitter user named Latrix, or Latrix, sorry if I pronounced his name wrong, 
quoting KH fans, it's time to rise up. So many, many Kingdom Hearts fans basically changed their profile pics to that of the Hooded Nobodies and it's ongoing since. So I'll just say that this isn't the only time and this will not be the only fandom that will do this kind of change. I'm sure there'll be another video game group, maybe a Sonic group or a Mass Effect group who might, you know, rise up to change to basically poke fun at Elon Musk and his very strange decision somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see the gaming community, uh, I guess, using games to, to somehow make fun of it as well, right? I mean, it wouldn't do much to change his <laughs> mind since he owns the thing, but it's more or less like a way to you know, poke fun and, you know, continuously mock the CEO despite, again, this is just, I guess, this is just a meme just just forming more or less. So, hey, I'm just glad it's catching on, you know, you know uniting fans for a game to, you know, come back. So for those, uh, because the game Kingdom Hearts 4 is like ongoing, it's still being made by Square Enix. So they've got some time to kill, lah. <laughs> Let's move away from that and talk about um, the new Twisted Metal TV series that has just launched. Yeah. 20 years ago, the world fell to Cities put up walls to protect themselves and threw the criminals out so they could fight over what was left. But there are humble mother like me delivering cargo from one walled city to another. And that's where the cars and guns come in. Give me the package, no so if I'm here, then the exit is... Oh, they have a footlocker. Oh, son of a... I could just do a quick one on this. So it's out right now, since it's uh, by the time of recording, it should be out right now. It's on a streaming platform called NBC's Peacock. But I'm guessing it might be on a Netflix in Malaysia or maybe one or Amazon Prime. Who knows? It really depends on who owns Twisted Metal, the TV series. So the show stars Anthony Mack as a driver named John Doe. He is given a career job from Raven, played by Nev Campbell, as so as he's driving and whatnot, he comes across a possible ally in the form of Quiet. Her name is Quiet, and she's played by Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine fame. Mm. Uh, gets hunted by the law in the form of the cop named Agent Stone and his, I guess, the sheriff department driving the Lincoln cars, played by Thomas Hayden Church. And it's a deal of a psychopathic muscular clown named Sweet Tooth, who is an iconic character in the Twisted Metal series. Sweet Tooth is voiced by Will Arnett with the physical body of the character played by renowned wrestler Samoa Joe. So it's pretty interesting to see the trailer. It looks very promising. I believe there should be reviews of the TV show coming out probably in the next few days or so because it's 10 episodes. And, you know, reviewing 10, 10 episodes of 30-minute shows can take a while. So, yeah. What I find quite interesting about this is that first, it has a, a big cast, a popular cast. And second is that they've actually made it into reality, a, a franchise that has long been dead, you know? It's been dormant. Yes, there hasn't been a new Twisted Metal game since 2011? I want to say 11 <laughs> on the PS3, uh, Twisted Metal, the reboot. The last one was Twisted Metal Black for the PS2 and then the one after that was, of course, Twisted Metal. That's it. Which was a kind of multi, a multiplayer game of a story, but the car combat, everything was fine. It just felt like weird that the game did not follow the structure of the first Twisted Metal on PS1 where it's like you choose eight characters, you go through a gauntlet and then you get your wish from the devil Callisto, the organizer of the tournament basically. And of course the wishes are twisted, you know, like how the Wishmaster would twist it in that movie with the genie. Mm, yeah. 
do you think that this is their way of gauging whether there'll be interest for uh, perhaps a reboot of the game again in the future? Yes. If a lot of people are watching this show, then most likely PlayStation will do something about it. Maybe it might make a multiplayer game, you know, that's free to play using the Twisted Metal license. That would be interesting. Um, because some racing games lately have been coming out in the free to play using the free to play models, so that's one avenue that Sony PlayStation can explore, and I don't see any harm in that as long as it's like a free to play kind of game, like maybe your Genshin Impacts or your Honkai Star Rails, you know, where or, or actually the better example is basically League of Legends, where all the mm. characters come through a rotation. Maybe you have five free. If you want the whole roster, pay up Manila. Just to play a one time pass. Or maybe a monthly pass. Actually, yeah, making it a free-to-play game would be a perfect, perfect alternative. Considering that's the format that is popular these days, right? Especially when it comes to you know the kind of gameplay that Twisted Metal is, you know, which is a vehicular combat video game, right? So which is be... not really a popular genre as of right now. In fact, I think racing itself as a whole, like apart from your Gran Turismo's or your Mario Kart Eight, which has been out for when the Wii U came out, which is, I forgot how long ago was that. <laughs> Again, it's not the biggest popular, you know, competitive kind of sport you get to watch when you compare it to others, but it has, it has its place. Lah, so. mm. All right. I'm going to end the news segment with uh, sad news. Um, legendary UK programmer John Gibson uh, has recently passed away. Yes, he passed away according to many, many reports. Uh, cause of death really not known, unfortunately. I think the family like to keep it private. So Gibson, John Gibson, he actually is known for his time at Psygnosis and Sony, since I guess we're talking about PlayStation games and racing games. Mm. So he basically enjoyed a career spanning four decades. He is known for programming the MotorStorm games and Drive Club for the PS3 and PS4. So he started his career at Imagine Software in 1983, ended at Sony, where he remained until his death. After learning how to code on a ZX81, he made a couple of critically acclaimed games at Imagine, which includes Mola Moral, Zizoom, and Stonkers. I have not played these games, I wouldn't know, but I do remember his work on Psygnosis, where he made Microcosm and Sentian. I remember my Microcosm because it was a pretty interesting FMV shooter game where all it's like recorded footage and all that, but you fight inside the body of a government official. You kind of need to save him from a nanotech virus that's invading his body and the only way to save him is to pilot a tiny ship inside the guy's body i think mm. that sounds like osmosis jones when i think about it although osmosis jones is you know the, the guy's natural body this is more like micro engineering stuff la. and mm. then of course uh, i mentioned he was in evolution studios which made motorstorm motorstorm one two and three and drive club and those are pretty good racing games I can't really speak for Drive Club, but I can speak about the Motostorm games, which were very, very fun. Especially part three, where the terrain basically changes and erupts. And, you mm. know, you gotta have to drive in the new course, basically, that happens on the fly. That was Jonathan Leo, KKP's content director, with some of the biggest gaming news in July. Coming up, a summary of some of the biggest releases this month. Stay tuned, you're listening to GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. Joining me today is Jonathan Leo, Content Director at Kakuchopore.com. And we've summarized the biggest gaming news in July. Now we're going to talk about the month's releases, starting with Remnant 2. 
Yes, it is a sequel to the first Remnant where three players team up with guns blazing and swords as they fight monsters and demons coming out from the ground in various different locations. So the game's system basically punishes you if you die, if your entire team dies. If your entire team dies, you have to start all the way at the beginning of the campfire, which is basically like a Dark Souls style kind of gameplay. But the game itself has like a loot mechanic where killing things will net you better gear that you can use in future runs and whatnot. The game has different classes and archetypes for you to unlock. So in terms of how different it is, it's not really different from the first game. It's more expanded upon, which is needed. Lah. I mean, the gunplay is great. The graphics look good. And I can't wait to get back to it, you know, because it's kind of like one of those games you need to play with people. It's better mm. to play with three people, per se. It's already out for PC, PlayStation 5, and Xbox series. All right, fantastic. Okay, moving on, we have, we have another game, uh, which is a 2D platformer called Gravity Circuit. Yes, okay, so if you like Mega Man X or Mega Man Zero, you should try out Gravity Circuit. It's basically got that 8-bit, 16-bit kind of art style where you control, uh, I guess you could say it's a cyber ninja with a grappling hook and you had to fight eight bosses in many, many fast-paced 2D levels here and there. So it's structured like a Mega Man game. There's really not much for me to talk about except that its controls great, the soundtrack is immaculate if you're into Mega Man X and Mega Man Zero style games, and it's fast and frenetic and really fun. And it's definitely worth the asking price of, I believe, RM79? Well, it's less than 100 lah, basically. Mm. So it's out for PC and Nintendo Switch. I need to double check if it's out for PlayStation and Xbox, but I know it's out for PC and Switch because I recently bought it for the PC, so. Okay, fantastic. All right, this next game caught my eye and um, because the concept is quite interesting um, and pretty unique, um, Viewfinder. Ah, yes, Viewfinder. Viewfinder is a puzzle game from Sad Owl Studios and it is generally, you are in a first-person perspective as a person trying to find a solution to your dying world so you enter this virtual universe to explore what's really cool about this universe to explore is you take a picture of anything you actually put it superimpose it to the front and you can create and bend the image to your will or basically bend it so that it can create a different platform per se you can also take photos of other objects and make copies of it. There are even like stages where you have to use a photocopier to, you know, make multiple copies of a particular photo you took or found. And there are instances where you need to basically take a picture of something, turn it upside down and it falls down to the ground. There are many situations like this. So, oh yeah, and of course there are optical illusions that you have to solve. So basically you just need to position yourself so the image aligns in the correct way. And I won't say any more, anything more than that because there are many, many creative puzzles. But I can tell you it is three hours worth of your time because it's it's got a pretty cool story. You got a narrator in the form of a Scottish cat. Um, you'll find out later as you play through the game. Mm -hmm. And the world itself is very colorful and very ephemeral and unique from a first-person perspective. And the way you interact with it, with the photo-taking and photo-shifting and altering... It's just very creative. Like you'll find the most creative and most taxing puzzles where the kind where you can't figure it out until 30 minutes and then Eureka, you know? I'm I'm so silly for not thinking about the solution that soon, you know? Those kind of puzzles where it basically makes you smarter, in a sense. 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely looks like that kind of game. And yeah, pretty unique indeed. Uh, does it remind you of Portal for some strange reason? No. Yes, it does. And yet, it's a little more different. I think it's obviously taking cues from Portal, which came out 10 years past. Mm. But it makes its own spin of it by using Polaroids and photographs and photocopiers and whatnot. It's, again, based on the game's title, Viewfinder, where, you know, it's an option on the camera, basically, you know, and also zooming in back and forth. And yeah, it's all camera, it's all camera related puzzles, picture taking related puzzles and optical illusions that also make you, you know, explore the world. And what's really cool is no two puzzles feel alike. There's like you go through one section of a portal, like you'll go through like maybe five stages and they have a theme. The next machine will be different, will have a different theme and so forth and so forth. So yeah, uh, they give you, the game gives you new challenges. It's very creative. I highly recommend Viewfinder. Especially, I think I don't really like the last mission that much. I mean, again, it's a time-based mission, but there are ways to turn off the timer. So don't worry about that. I won't, I won't say how, but there is a way. So, mm-hmm. but, but, but generally, apart from that part, everything about Viewfinder is great. I highly recommend it. It's out for PC and PlayStation consoles. From there, we move on to uh, a game on the Nintendo Switch, Disney Illusion Island. Ah, exclusive to Nintendo Switch. So Disney's Illusion Island is a game from the Lala Studios and Walt Disney, where you play as either Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Minnie and Goofy as you explore a world in 2D fashion. So you basically have to find three tomes for these uh, Hokens that you find in this new world that you're in and explore the, the world itself, which uh, range from a plant-based biome to a space-based biome and a concrete mechanical kind of biome. So you've got different colorful worlds to explore, each with their own devious traps, puzzles. And you also, like in the search action game, like a Metroidvania title, you also get special power-ups that let you open up the map more, like a grappling hook to make you swing around, or a double jump, or a slam attack that destroys the ground below you. So. It's actually a four-player game, or you can play it single-player. It's meant for all ages. I like the puzzles, I like the bosses, it's very creative, very fun. It's not the most challenging game, but again, this is a this is a Disney game made for all ages, so it's the kind of game you're meant to play with kids and, you know, with your cousins, neighbours and whatnot, and your loved ones that you play together. So I definitely recommend this game, and it's also exclusive to Switch, so again, it knows its target demographic. And plus, I do enjoy the humor and the art style, so there's really nothing bad to say about the game. I also recommend Dizzy Illusion Island. And I'm very sure it doesn't cost 200 million to make. <laughs> Alright, fantastic. Okay, last but not least, uh, we have uh, another 2D game from a franchise that um, was once a favorite of mine, uh, Double Dragon uh, Gaiden Rise of the Dragons. Also, does not cost 200 million to make. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, this is going to be okay. I'll stop. I'll stop. So, Double Dragon Gaiden is a 2D beat up from Secret Base Games from Singapore and published by Modest Games. It is for PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. Should be on Nintendo Switch as well. So, you play as the Lee brothers and Marion and Uncle Martin, who have their own different styles of fighting, and it's a 2D beat up. So, what's unique about this title is instead of going through stages like a normal beat up, like Ninja Turtles last year, you still go through the stages, but you get to pick any of them in any order. You have four gangs to defeat, and you get a fifth boss you get to fight later on. But as you pick the bosses, 
the third and fourth choices will basically power up the gang to like maybe more stages and a different final boss you have to fight who has more HP and more hit points and more attacks. So basically, you have to choose your order carefully as well as choose the power-ups because if you die, if you don't have enough money to continue the game, like in-game currency you earn as you beat up enemies, if you don't have enough tokens and whatnot, you have to basically wipe your save and restart from the beginning. So it's got the roguelike element right there. Mm. And the game gets very, very challenging in Mission 3, 4, and 5 because of the swarm of enemies, the health points, and how aggressive they are. Luckily, before you start the game, you get to adjust these parameters. So if you want to actually just get tokens for fun, you can just put the settings as, as to as low as possible. But if you want to earn more and have a cheaper restart, restart a currency rate, you can bump up the values to the highest possible metric. Now, of course, as a 2D artwork, you got to appreciate the 2D animation, the art style, the nods, the old Double Dragon games with the art style and the music and the characters. And yeah, and the controls are great. And the four characters you play at the start, they're really cool. Billy uses his kicks. Jimmy uses his fists. Marion is the only one with a gun, but she's super weak. And Martin is the guy with the riot shield and he's the big tough guy. Like, the kind you need in the beat-em-up, basically. And throughout the game, as you play more and more of the game, you get you get to collect tokens to unlock more characters, which opens up new playstyles and easier ways to beat the game, basically. If, especially if you unlock characters who are worth 25 tokens and 50 tokens. Mm, all right. Um, so, worth getting this game? Definitely, but with some caveats. I believe you have to be like an old-school retro gamer to actually appreciate Double Dragon Gaiden. I've seen the reviews where they gave it kind of like middling scores and I kind of understand where they're coming from because it is a challenging game and some of these journalists aren't really used to playing challenging games last, so what are you going to do? Um, but at the same time, I would... I mean, again, you can tweak the difficulty lower too and there's a replay value. So think of it as an uh, arcade game you play over and over again that just looks nice and has deep cuts to the old franchise. But if you don't appreciate the franchise, I can understand. You can, you can probably just uh, buy it on discount lah. But for fans of beat em up, this is the game to get lah. Alright, good. Okay, so uh, for next month, uh, what are some of the games that we can look forward to? So we have Blasphemous 2, a 2D Metroidvania title that's kind of Dark Souls, got this really unique gothic art vibe from a Spanish group of developers. You've got Shadow Gambit, The Cursed Crew, which is a turn-based RPG title starring pirates and the undead and... I guess Undead Pirates lah by proxy, I guess. Uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, we got 30XX, which is, uh, it's coming out in uh, 1.0 form because it's out in early access now. But the full version is coming out on August 9th. It is a roguelike action platformer where it's basically styled like a Mega Man game. So in case you finish Gravity Circuit really early, you can probably jump into 30XX. I played the early access for this. It's very, very fun. Really, really mm. good. Oh, and Baldur's Gate 3 is coming out for PC on August the 3rd. Uh, this yes. is like the most epic RPG you'll probably play. Probably 50 hours maybe or 100 hours. <laughs> I honestly don't know. It's just huge. I mean, I played the early access beta. It was very broken. But with the way the developers have been talking about it, I think it's going to be the game to occupy your entire year from August till December. Oh, and we have Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon, a mecha game created by From Software. Yeah, so two 
big games to look forward to next Monday. Yeah. Oh, one more. Uh, sea of Stars, an RPG from the folks who made The Messenger, Sabotage Studios. It is a RPG that is harkening back to the golden days of Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger, but with its own unique mechanic of fighting and random battles and world interaction. So Sea of Stars, also another game to look out for. You're tuned into GG Wallplate and that was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopuri.com summarizing the news and releases in July. Head over to their website kakuchopuri.com to check out more gaming news and reviews. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us again. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.